Hello and greetings adventurers. We have some exciting news here today at DM's Book Club. Our good friends TJ and Alex are launching the long-awaited Crucible magazine on Kickstarter. It's a monthly magazine packed with over 80 pages of 5th edition content like adventures, subclasses, magic items, interviews and more. Each issue comes as a monthly printed magazine and PDF. Not only that, Crucible has teamed up with Foundry Virtual Tabletop, and every issue comes with a complete JSON module with all the adventures and playable content included in one easy package. As somebody who DMs fairly regularly, I'm really looking forward to their DMing advice column. I'm always interested to hear what other Dungeon Masters have to say. For more information and to get a free copy of their launch issue, check out the Crucible Kickstarter at www.cruciblemag.com forward slash Kickstarter. There's a link in the episode show notes as well. Thanks very much. Go check it out. Hello and welcome to the DMs Book Club, a podcast where we read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing games. With me today is our first guest of 2022 i know <laughs> we've, we've that's not... exciting it is exciting i'm joined by rob from the realm of fire podcast rob how are you my friend hello i'm good it's early on a sunday morning it is uh, and but i'm ready i've been reading told us for solidly for a couple of weeks now in preparation for this yes so i'm ready i'm gonna it's like you're... an exam i'm gonna fire it all out now oh no and you... jettison it from my brain for 12 more years you're gonna vomit out all this sort of information yeah. even even if we're like just talking about normal things you're like but what about this and i'm like yeah. oh no reference fest <laughs> yeah i'm just gonna write it all down on the paper as fast as i can and then have a think about it later i will i will mark you afterwards obviously oh. um <laughs> but rob let's talk about you briefly to begin with hello Rihanna. we've waved hello. to each other over <laughs> the zoom call um how did you get into rpgs like what was the starting point and like what has your career been like in rpgs if my, I may ask? Ca- my career in rpg my journey my your journey my, yes. your inspirational journey <laughs> my, my hobbit-like journey it all goes back now 30 years worryingly to my brother bringing back the red box D and D, the second, not second edition, the first edition book box uh, with the red box, the classic cover with the dragon on the front. Him opening it up, us having a look at it, going, "What the hell is this?" I don't understand <laughs> a word of what this is about. Mm-hmm. Him going off and discovering music, me being left with it. But I was always into fantasy. Games Workshop has always been a big part of my life. And then Star Wars, Jason the Argonauts, Clash of the Titans, they were always the things that were on the telly when I was younger. So always like fancy games. D&D mm. fitted into that. And then one day, walked into BT's in Altrincham, if anyone remembers BT's, absolutely brilliant toy shop from back in the day. And they had an upstairs full of RPGs, and I saw Star Wars, the role-playing game. And I was Amazing. like, yes, that's it. I'm already doing this with my toys anyway. I might as well make it more boring roll more dice and take more statistics <laughs> and play and from then on played pretty much everything from from basically any if you think of a game between 1991 to now i've probably <laughs> played it um, except for dnd actually dnd being the my one of my least played games Interesting. And um, yeah, because you, yeah. you've been on our, our sibling podcast, uh, What Am I Rolling? And you've run, mm. I think, three games at this point. You know, Vert was the first one. It's a cool sci-fi one inspired yep. by uh, Jeff Noon's novel, which was amazing. Love that. We've also got, obviously, Numenera coming out. Yes. Soon. Yep. And then Idris Bai, uh, yes. which I really love. Actually, uh, off camera, I the two yeah. books arrived. And the and the deck, yeah, we're all like ah. So yes. I I cannot wait to properly dig my teeth into Brilliant. it. It was thanks to your amazing GMing of that. I was Thank like, I am in, and that's my new game. So yeah, so you, but you came very late to fifth edition, and it was D and D in general. So yeah, any reason I, for that, or was it just? I don't know. I had a lot. I had the second edition player's handbook with the knight on the cover, <laughs> and I from the same BTs picked up. There was a point in my life where a lot of things were changing and happening, and so I I, I was given gifts quite a lot to shut me up um and one of those <laughs> there were two box sets one was water deep and one was under mountain mm-hmm. so obviously a bit of a companion piece there because you've got water deep and you've got under mountain and the water deep box set really stems to tolus for me because it was this small orange brown box packed with maps you if you put all the maps out of water deep that came in that book you couldn't fit them on a floor you'd have to do it like in a, in a church hall or something it was 
huge and it was mm-hmm. so in depth. Mm-hmm. And then once you've done Water Deep, you have Under Mountain. And again, map after map of these. And I was, I was uh, 11, 10, 11. I was never going to run this. No. But I had enough entertainment just looking through them, reading about all these halls, plotting bits, lifting bits out. Very rarely played D&D, but had it all. When I say had it all, I had to play a handbook because that's all you need. DM guide is a ripoff. Um, <laughs> and um, had the player's handbook and had those two modules. And honestly, me and my friend would just, he would just come around and we'd just talk and we'd bounce ideas around, mm. but we'd never play. We'd never actually sit down. We mainly because we didn't know four other people who were as nerdy as us. Yeah. So it was mainly, we chatted about it, but it came out with great ideas. And I think my love of cities with giant dungeons underneath them might be linked to those two initial modules for D&D. But I finally started playing 5e. Started with just we started playing Salt Marsh and I've done the first one. Mm-hmm. And that's that's fun. It's odd. It's a very odd campaign, Salt Marsh. Someone described it as a Scooby-Doo adventure. Yeah. Like, yeah. In a coastal town, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then someone goes, oh, it's not a ghost at all. It's the old man with us. <laughs> <It's> just like... <laughs> Well, like five orcs all stood around to go, what's going on? <laughs> when do we kill these people? What was going on? Yeah. yeah. I find that's interesting as well. Because I there is that sort of thing now where everything nowadays is all entertainment. And like you like like there's a big discussion just now in video games. There's um mm. Dying Light 2 that's just come out, and it's like mm. over was it 400 hours to complete it fully? Yeah. And people are like, Back we on. don't have but we don't have time and we don't have time to get all those things. Mm. And yet we can play hours in role-playing games week after week after week we can listen to them week after you know and it's just i just just find it interesting it's different between playing it maybe solo like a game just Mm -hmm. with one story perhaps and just one player compared to this but also like you just said like you could easily just pick up a book and have all this law and just talk to someone about it that's kind of why this podcast started just so like here's all this information i have but I can't dispense it easily either because yeah. I'll spoil it for the players or I don't have a current game about it. So yeah. I find that's a really interesting way of doing it. I think even computer games, just to very quickly glance on this, mm, probably computer games, they're still passive. Yes. You cannot reprogram a game while you're playing it unless you're incredibly smart or you know good at that. Mm-hmm. Sign. Yes, there are some games that are more customizable than others. And that's why I think games like Save and stuff like that feel a bit more like I'm really generating this. But an RPG, you literally change as you play. They're never the same. The table is yours is the classic phrase. Mm-hmm. And I think what's really good about RPG in particular is it gives a good vent for people like me who are frustrated novel writers. Mm. I will never write a novel. I can write a short story at the most. I'll never write a novel. I can't do it, but I can tell a story mm-hmm. and I can write that story down and I might be able to deliver that story as an NPC talking about it or just mm-hmm. here's a world rather than and this happened and this happened. I can't write a history, but I can deliver a mm-hmm. history, if that makes sense. And I think RPGs are really that creative outlet that you get as a way of, I'm not going to write 6,000, well, that's like 700,000 words and have a publisher look at it, but I can write this down, put it on drive through RPG and people might buy it for a quid, yeah. you know? So it does give you that kind of out, I think, yeah. in a good way. Well, speaking of novels, <laughs> what have you brought with us today? What are we talking about on this episode? We are talking about Monty Cook's Tolus, and I'm holding up to the camera, even though this is completely audio, just to remind Fiona, because I think you've only got the PDF. I, well, of... yes, when you sent me the PDF, and I was like, yeah, 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 I'll look at it. And then I opened it, and it yeah. buffered. <laughs> I was like, oh dear. So yeah, so yes. it is quite a quite a beast, this book, isn't 672 it? 672 pages Oof. of double-column text with pictures. <laughs> it is a monster. It is from Monty Cook Games. Tolus is a setting written many years ago, uh, by Monty Cook, which we'll go into in a minute. Um, but it was recently in, and by recently, I mean before the pandemic. So I don't know when that was. Um, republished for 5e and the Cypher System on Kickstarter mm. as a single tome, big book. I mean, it's got six bookmarks. So that shows you. Oof, that's, um, that is a lot. A single tome with a lot of support around it, a load of extra adventures, PDF support, all the old stuff that they wrote, and packets of props and stuff. <laughs> very Monty Cook. If you're familiar with Monty Cook, he likes to deliver lots. It's it very much a premium experience. They're expensive. I'm, not, I'm never going to say that Monty Cook games are not expensive. They're expensive, but you're paying for quality. And if you don't like them, just buy something else. There's plenty of games you can also buy. Um, but for me, it's my guilty pleasure. So I love Monty Cook games and I will buy looked told us I'd never heard of it before his Kickstarter campaign. Yeah. I have to be completely honest. And for a long time, I avoided it. And I was like, no, no, no. And then when it was like on backer kit or backer it, I can't remember what it's called. Mm. I was like, 
Mm, fuck it. Uh, and then bought it. And then it's still arriving. The book's here. The props yeah. are here. But literally two days ago, more PDF support and a new adventure written for it arrived. So there's even yeah. more to read. That's what I think is quite interesting. Like just going back to the expense thing. So yeah, it is a massive book. And you said there's props and stuff and we'll go into all that. Mm-hmm. For me, stuff like that, like a, a Kickstarter to Kickstarter into the new version of it as well. Mm-hmm. There is now this sense that you are, it's an experience. You get the whole things. It's not just the game itself. Not Like when we get kickstart board games, it's like the board game, but also all these expansions. If I point to it slightly off camera, but there's like six packs there of the Horizon Zero Dawn game that I backed maybe three, three years ago and as all the expansions there never played it um but they've all the all the minis all the stuff like that so it is an experience that's what you're paying for it's not just here's this and the extras and one thing you said to me off camera which i was like oh that's really cool because i didn't realize this is that the player's guide to told us mm-hmm. is free as a pdf on monty cook's thing so that's that's yes. incredible yes the first chapter being a this is what your players should know and <laughs> This is very much a campaign I think you want buy-in. Um, yes. I really think it's not a kind of, okay, you now explain this camp, this city to me, GM. I brought my one character sheet and maybe I've remembered my dice. You now deliver this campaign to me. This is a, no, we're going to play in Tolus. I need the players to buy into this. Mm-hmm. And buy-in, I mean time and effort because it is free. If you read that player's guide as a player, you have not just everything you need, but more than you need. You yes. will feel like a native to Tolus a bit more. Like mm-hmm. it's 30 something pages. Which is not much. It's free. Yeah. It's quite it's quite a lot for the history that you get the basic sort of here's the city layout, mm-hmm. here's a little bit of history, here's the timeline of the world, here's yeah. the sort of population as is, and a few other bits of pieces that you would know as a citizen of Tolus. So it has yeah. it all there. And I'm yeah, I was quite very, very impressed by it. And yeah, because that was the thing for me as well. When you gave me this and said just read the first chapter. So I will a bit coming into this uh, this episode, I have only really read the first chapter and made notes on it. But I'm I'm interested. Let's dive into it a bit more. So mm-hmm. if you were explaining to me sort of the overview of what is Tolus, like, well, what is it about? Is it a huge campaign setting? Is it over several planes? What is it exactly? So Tolus is a city. First and foremost, it is a city. The city by the spire, it's known as. It is this massive, sprawling, fantastical city, an impossible city. If you look at the geography of it, it makes no sense. I think it's very much a city in the grand tradition of Waterdeep, yes. uh, Pork, and Renaissance London and Florence. It's just this massive, crazy city that's written entirely from the perspective of a fantasy world. Because mm-hmm. just to give a little bit of background, this city was written for Monty Cook and um, Bruce Cordell and, and the other playtesters, et cetera, of D&D third edition to test the rules. It was written with rules in mind. It was, right, we're talking about D&D. What would a D&D city look like? Not what would a medieval European city with magic bits look like? Mm-hmm. What would a city where you could travel through teleportation look like? How would you protect a bank if people can teleport? Mm-hmm. If people can turn themselves invisible, what would the watch do? If people can be brought back from the dead, what does that mean to be a soldier? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a part of D&D that I don't think is touched on enough, that you have magic that fundamentally manipulates life. So being a soldier in D&D, is it better? Is it worse? Is it, well, I'm going to go to the front, and yeah, I might get my head cut off, but actually I know there's a wizard back at camp who can sew it back on yeah, compared yeah. to a, modern, you know, a real soldier. Mm-hmm. And Tolus is written in that way. It's what if there was a city and written from the ground up for Dungeons & Dragons, not here's a setting with fantasy elements. So it is a sprawling metropolis with many different areas. It's a city that's not a capital. It's more like a New York or a Glasgow or a Sydney. It's that port town that becomes the cultural capital Mm -hmm. because it's part of an empire in the world of primal. The empire might have fallen. No one actually knows. Turns out no one knows nor cares. Uh, the, the the prince has moved to Tolus and it's become basically the centre. As I say, it's New York. You know, it, yes, New York is not the capital of America. 
ask someone in American City, they'll say New York. Yes. And that's told us it's the same yeah. equivalent. It's mm. it's where people want to be, right? Because there's this yes. big sort of theme throughout it. For this, you sort of mentioned it in passing, and I'm sure we'll go into it in more detail, this dungeon delving aspect that there's a huge cave system underneath where there are ruins and people come, these adventurers come because they want to get into the delving uh, yeah. business, essentially. So it is like you have that adventuring thing here. And that's the thing for me that really struck out to me. As you said, it is a D&D city where you're very unlikely in this whole campaign to go out of it. It's so much here. Why yeah. would you want to leave, per se? And it's like, and I think that's like that's why it makes sense. And the thing that made me laugh when I was reading through the additional materials of the promotional material around Tolus is that the, the big selling point is that it's one author, so obviously Monty Cook, yes. and that's it. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, it makes sense, because it's just yeah. one person's voice throughout. So there's not any... Not that you would see any intervening bits, but it's not mm. much editing, I would say. No. Like, obviously, and no. that's fine because this person has created this campaign, as you said, over many, many years, had very many famous now D&D writers. Yeah. Chris Perkins was mentioned, all of us. I mean, they'd played in this campaign yeah. and now have written it up into this book. It's, it is the finished novel that yes. it can be like, this is my campaign. This is, just, And I think that's yeah. that's such a feat in general. Like, I know, like you said, like Multicope's got so many other games and all that, mm-hmm. but this actual thing is such a... It's that sort of thing, you know, this is my thing that I've made over several years and here's the final proof of it. And yeah, yeah I think it's absolutely incredible. And it's fab because, as, yeah, as you mentioned, you can see a lot of it stitched together, almost like a gazette, a gazetto, you know. It's like reading someone's Lost Planet book to this yes. place. You know, you go absolutely. and they go, oh, you should go to this place. It's really good. And you go and you're like, this is terrible. Why, why would you say that? Oh, you're friends with the owner, I see. <laughs> but it's written that way and it gives that. Is is verisimilitude the word? That sort of realism. It gives you that feel of yeah, this is a place written about because someone lived here because this is a city where Monty Cook ran two concurrent campaigns at the same time over a period of how many ever many years. You know, it took so that's two sessions a week for years while they were writing D and D free. That's a lot of material. So it goes down to things like there's a whole there's a page. Um, page 157 tells you about the messaging service. It yes. tells you how to send telegrams and magic, stuff like that. Just down to that level of detail, because that probably came up once, probably in one game, Bruce Cordell probably said, oh, we need to send a message across town. How would we do that? Yeah, and how quickly you, can it get there? Exactly. How quickly yeah. can it get there? So you go, oh, well, it's a magic city. You can probably enchant ravens that can carry these messages. Boom, there you go, done. And then, you know, after the adventure, you can you can write down a little table and it costs mm. one gold to send blah, blah, And then that's been stuck into this book. Yeah. So the detail is huge which actually works against it, but we'll go on to that later because we're not even finished with the setting yet because you've got this city. Now, I mentioned the spire. At one end of the city is a gigantic, impossibly tall spire. Now, this is a hallmark of Monty Cook games. You look at anything like Numenera, anything like that. There is this structure that goes up into the sky, wouldn't be able to stand, would just fall over and has a couple of fortresses built onto it. That overlooks the entire city, almost like a giant sundial. I've got my hand up in the air, as if you can see. But I mean, go. I looked up as if it was there, so yeah. it's, all, it's all good. Yes, this giant thing that almost acts as a sundial, and it's impossible. It shouldn't be there, but mm-hmm. it's there. And it's the city is developed under that. So you've got above ground, you've got the city, and then there is below ground. Mm-hmm. And below the ground... Now, spoiler warning ahead here, because the thing about Tolus is, on the face of it, it's a cool, fantastic city with dungeons underneath it. Yes. There is loads more to it than that and a lot of that is under the ground there's a dwarven city down there cool that's nice and easy has it been lost has it been reclaimed was someone watching lord of the rings when they wrote that bit who knows but there is the (laughs) you know there is there is there is a moria down there Mm -hmm. there's a dark labyrinth down there there's a underdark you know uh drizzed city effectively deep, deep down there, and there's even worse things down there. There is the rolling stuff of pure chaos mm. that will affect things above ground. So you have a city on three levels. You've got the, the city, and you could never even leave the ground level of the city. You can, you know, there is so much to do there. Or you can go, fuck it, I've come to Tolus to be a delver. There is a whole industry built up in Tolus for people to go underground. There's a place called Belver Square where you can go buy your weapons, buy your armour, go downstairs. It's almost quite video game It's almost like a hub district. You go there, then you go down, and you might just go like, oh, I'm a delver, but I only stay near the top. But the further down and down you go, the worse it gets, mm. or maybe the better it gets. 
as I said, there are a lot of secrets. So I don't know what, what do you want to go on to next. We've got we've got our city, yes. it's a magical city, a mad city by the by the edge of the world. What do you want to cover next? The obvious thing would be look at quickly at the spire itself, right? Because uh-huh. it feels like obviously it's like. It's there in the background. You see every sort of a beautiful drawing of the city from afar. You know, it's like, oh, well, there's the spire. Like, greetings from Tolus. You get that on the postcard. Yes, yes, the background. Very much so. so, yeah, well, I guess let's talk about a little bit of the lore about that. Like, it seems to me, like, again, like you said, there's always this something in this structure, this amazing big thing. Like, what would you say would be, like, what's the defining feature of the spire, per se? Like, why did it come about? What's this? Why is it there? So it happened because of primal history. So... Spoiler warning going ahead now. We're going to talk a little bit about a few of the twists of this setting. Sounds good. Primal as a plane is a trap. It was created by the gods. God Lothus, I think it was, being mm. the Church of Lothi. But again, do you know what? There's a whole book about this and things coming in and out of my head. So if you've got a problem, we may get mistakes on hey, this. Just go details, read it. details, details. Details, details. There's so basically, many in this book, let's face yes, it. Like, exactly. <laughs> basically, what happened was there was an evil entity, almost gods of chaos, called the Galchut. They were causing trouble. They were gods that wanted to destroy. They were apocalyptic gods. It wasn't about corrupting for them. It was about destruction. Mm. And the gods, the good gods sort of went, oh, flipping out, can't have that. Um, Ooh. Ooh. So they created a plane that had no way out. And they said, oh, yeah, we've made this really, uh, really lovely plane. It's lovely. It's all Eden-like. And no one's protecting it. So these evil gods are like, right, we're going to smash that up. So they pour into there. And then they shut the door behind them and go, and that's primal. It is a plane that is locked away. And the gods were like, oh my God, this is annoying. And these apocalyptic gods then realized if they destroyed everything, then they're screwed. They hadn't worked that out. So basically primal itself is a weird pocket dimension almost away from the rest of the planescape of D&D. But in it, then there are these dark, evil, ancient forces held back by also good forces, but blah, blah, blah. And that's where the spire comes from, because basically there was a one of many wars, battles, created these giant spheres of entropy, that these giant chaotic energy balls that basically mutate and warp everything around it. And one grew below the ground, and the earth itself sort of rejected it, and, and it became an, anathema, an, an anathema to it. And so the earth grew, I'm doing some good hand actions I'm, here. I'm excited. Yes, as an Italian, I have to. Um, the, the, the earth sort of grew up away from it, because the earth was literally going, Fuck that. I don't want to touch that, yeah. I don't want to touch that. So it grew away almost as if, you know, you're stringing... Uh, like a hot lead or something on a yeah. on a on a solder kind of thing. It, it drew it up all the way or clay if you're watching um, pottery. Um, and the the clay was drawn up and this and then set effectively. And so the spire was developed to get away from the rolling chaos below it. So That's it's so an impossible cool. thing, but it's there now. And then over years, various other realms and fights happened, and within the spire itself, there are now two major fortresses yes. um, of darkness. Basically, <laughs> there is Goth Gulgamel, which I believe I have said it, which is about halfway up the fortress, which is this just horrendous labyrinth of traps and magic you don't want to go into. Mm-hmm. And then above that, Right at the very top, almost Barador-like, at the very, very top, is Jabal Shamar. And that's, if you're ever going to have an end game for this campaign, it's Jabal Shamar. You're going to yeah. the top, yeah. Going yeah. to the very top. I think something I read on top is that it was already there, and then just the earth just pushed it up at the top, which yes. I think is such yes, a cool concept. Sorry, yes, yes, no, that's no, exactly I think what that's happened. Great. Yeah, it was already there, and it went up, and it's still up there. And everyone's like, is it still there? I don't know, I'm not we don't know. We're not going up there because <laughs> yeah. there's a massive evil force in between <laughs> yes. two ways to it. Yeah, and yeah, just that idea, like... So, like you said, you could spend the whole campaign just on the city level, but it mm. makes sense that at some point something you you see something coming from the top. Hmm, yeah. probably not great because again, as you said, there's these evil forces, so there's definitely talk of demonic influences, and there's uh, celestial yeah. beings as well that yeah. just happen to be in town. There's talk about I think it's um, cherubin elves and stuff like that, which I've never well, heard of at all. They don't have to happen to be in town. They were seeded there to put when when they were trapped when they trapped the evil forces there were effectively celestials who were left behind as guardians oh. to make sure they never like got out so yes there is a way stronger 
presence of celestial yeah cherubin elves which is a great idea i think i, um, love, I love the name yeah. of them that's just such a yeah. cool idea all right so cool so that's like the spire bit of it because obviously that's the big thing i was going to point out going we should go there and you go please don't go there oh my <laughs> god jesus christ <laughs> like, so it's that sort of thing I'm, I'm sure i've spoken about it before in dm's book club where there's that i would say that creepy pasta reddit thing which says like hey i'm gonna tell you about a story about the forest and there's staircases in the forest but you just ignore them don't go up the staircase you're like yeah. oh Okay, and then and then so you just so no one talks about the spire, even though it's there in everyone's uh, purview. Let's go from the top to the bottom then. So tell us about the underground bits of it. So what what secrets could we find out if we were going to go dungeon delving? So down there, there are, as I mentioned, the, the, I mean, there's loads. The whole thing about the city is there is basically the city is almost mirrored below it in terms of cellars and catacombs and sewers and tunnels. So you can get to any part of the city from one district to the other underground. You might never come above ground. And the people of Tolis have started to live like that as well. As space runs out, they've started to go down a bit. So there's whole markets down there. There's whole city, or not cities, but whole districts where people live. And that's fine. They live down there. Unsurprisingly, dwarves find their way down there quite a lot. Um, elves go down there quite a bit. And basically the under dark is kind of, the under city, sorry, is a mirror of the city above, mm-hmm. but a bit rougher kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. And that. That's enough to play in. Under that, there is then Dwarvenhaf. Now, Dwarvenhaf was a dwarven city, long lost, which I mentioned before, almost Moria-like, mm. which is down there, and being reclaimed as well um, at the same time. So that is a whole load of adventures there. And in Dwarvenhaf, there is a lot of what is known as Chaos Tech. Yes. Because this is where Tolus also differentiates itself somewhere from Waterdeep, is I would put it, if you were to use a real world example, I think it's about 200 to 300 years in the future from medieval Europe. Yes. It's to go back to the Ankh-Mork pork idea, technology's started to come in now. There's steam powered things, there's pump engines, there's weaponry, there's guns, there's flamethrowers. And there is the dark side to that as well, which is called chaos tech, which mm. is the stuff of demonic fusions with technology. And that's being uncovered down below. A lot of it in Dwarvenhaf, but elsewhere. And that's become a sort of, ooh, do we want this? Do we not? But I bet it's yes. worth a lot of money. Someone will pay for this. Yes. And that becomes almost a, a MacGuffin. For, you, you could have a campaign of, you've come to Tolus to make your fortune, delve mm. in for Chaos Tech, go. You know, and that's it. You're done. That's your campaign yeah. sorted. And then you're going to be exploring all these different parts because this, the Underdark, I'm going to, again, hold a map please up. Please do. If you yes, have please. it, it's on page 385. And it's literally, you see, there's a line, which is the city on top. Oh, and then goodness. there is everything underneath it. And it goes down, 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 down. That is, that is a, a very deep, deep yes. tunnel. You could live down there. You've and got... there are what are called pits of insanity down there occasionally as well, which are these rolling balls of chaos mm. that mutate and warp the world around them. And they're a problem. Yes. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, they're a real problem. Because going back above ground, Tolus is filled with cults. Mm. It is a city filled with cults. And a lot of these are chaos cults who worship chaos, obviously, hence the name. And they want to sort of tap into these pits of insanity and see if they can use them to start mutating the world again and making it all gross and tentacly and horrible. Mm, yeah, no, I, I definitely got that that vibe for it. There's, again, so many factions, so many things that you could eat mm. that easily. Again, as we've said, this has obviously been developed over many, many years that people have just come into action with and then after the session just written down a brief bio and stuff yeah. like that. To quickly go back, though, to the tech aspect, yes. this is the thing I found really interesting mm-hmm. was that, um, as you said, this obviously is based like a couple of years, um, oh, many years actually after. So there is the rise of tech, but then there is this idea that certain knowledge of tech is dying out. Yes. So it's not as useful anymore. So this idea of yes. chaos tech is like they find almost like artifacts of stuff that we would maybe considered old fashioned. Again, that sort mm-hmm. of Western uh, medieval fantasy sort of thing going, oh, it's a steam power stuff, but no one knows how to use it, but the yeah. demonic influence. Mm-hmm. So I just think that's a really different point to it as well. So it's, it has that element of tech to it because obviously most D&D People again, I would say, you know, maybe if you're not playing Strixhaven just now or, or any other sort of more modern stuff, that you're like, oh, yeah, this is more advanced. But actually, this idea that, oh, it's advanced, but nobody knows how to use it because it's died, it's actually such yeah. a 
a different way of looking at it. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it's it's a hallmark of Monty Cook stuff again. If you look at Newman, Numenera is an entire system based on that. On mm. what the hell is that? I don't know. You touch it, and I find out what happens. And to bring that into D and D is really interesting. I love it. It's very. It talks to the Warhammer Forty Thousand player in me. Yes. The what is that? I don't know. Let's pray to it. Oh, it works now. Right. Oh, we pray to this now, we and we worship. It. Yeah, we worship this now. Um, and yeah, that really gives that extra element of. It's an excuse for there to be technology without it being, well, why isn't everyone walking around with a handgun exactly. then? Exactly. You know, it's like, yeah, if, if there are guns, which there are, mm-hmm. well, everyone's got a gun, right? Why would you have Bowman? Well, because for a start, expense, the resources to make it, the magic, guns aren't as good as bows, mm-hmm. and also no one knows really how it works. And yeah. actually this one gun's been passed down for 200 years. Mm-hmm. So it, it lets you have it without breaking the, the world yeah. yeah and i think you know what that's a really good point as well there's always this tension and i remember when we did some world building oh, ages and ages ago now the idea of like how much magic is in the world versus mm. how much tech is in the world and having both elements to it one uh, impacts the other mm-hmm. and i think here obviously it's like well magic is everyone knows everyone it's magic everyone has heard of monsters or knows mm-hmm. that they exist and believes in their existence but they might not have come into contact with yeah. them and i think yeah. that's the cool bit about it is that it, it's a given fact this is the fact of the world but this is a twist on it and that's what i just really like about it because I, I always i'm always a bit like oh god like having guns or firearms and stuff like that it's because like you said it's just a lot more for the dm to compute but i loved how yeah. it was just dealt very simply in this game just going yes they're here if you want to use them or find out what they do there's always other caveats to them and yeah. I, and there's like there's obviously little terror things where oh there's the smoke shop where you could get all this sort of the, the dark powers and stuff like that and I thought that's a nice little thing so there is a place to go look this stuff up should the players yeah. really want to go down into it so yeah absolutely and yeah the, to go back to the technology thing it is very interesting that you have that kind of well I want a gun and I, like, I can fire fireballs out my hand mate why, why do I want a gun <laughs> why would I want to do anything else the other like, thing as well which I love is in order to have a gun you need to have a license and yes. the packet gives you a little um license to cut out and fill your character name in and um, so you can you can write down your you can have a gun license mm. or a gun rat let's talk about that then because uh, as we sort of mentioned mm-hmm. us itself massive books but it comes with all these extras which you were showing me beforehand and stuff so what yes. else do you get uh, if you were going to buy a tolus book uh, or so, if you'd buy the Kickstarter, like what else yes. did you get? No, it's with the book. You get the book and you get an envelope. And in the envelope is just a load of stuff. There are more bookmarks. There's already six in the book and it gives you some more, um, <laughs> which are quite handy because you can put them into the different sections. But it just gives you all those little bits that add a lot more to it. So there's a proclamation from the emperor, for example. There are a couple of floor maps for, for some of the adventures within the game because we'll talk about there's actually a kind of a, a, a semi-campaign built into it. Mm-hmm. There is a menu for a pub which I'm obviously you massive can then, fan of that yeah, i love i love stuff like that yeah would you prefer the fresh milk fried haddock or the pickled herring on flatbread oh i'd probably go for pickled herring, pickled I would. herring yeah. yeah thanks um <laughs> egg. there's a nice reference sheet there are wanted posters um yeah. to, to put out and most importantly of all there is this and there's a big map as well let me show that there is a huge random encounters list which ah. is line after line of tiny writing. I was going to say, that, even that's tiny on my Zoom screen. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> All you do is you go, I don't know what to do at this point. It's got a matrix at the back. Mm-hmm. So you roll a D100, you look at which part of town you're in, and then we'll find out. So let's say that we're walking around the North Market. Mm-hmm. Fiona, roll me a D100. Oh, my goodness. I was not ready for rolling, but oh, I... Just say I, a number. Just say a number. Uh, 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 42. Of 42. course, 42. There you go. Uh, we encounter 133. Let's find out what happens. Oh, cool. Uh, so you actually like reference. I that's mm-hmm. really cool. Like a, a few beggars adventure. working. Oh. So we found some working beggars. That's quite boring. But if you roll one higher, we'd have a few beggars working who are spying for the beggar king. So <gasps> are they just beggars or are they spying? Who knows? But yes. That's really cool. I like that that choose your own adventure kind of thing where you go to this and reference it rather than just like four commoners here. Like you actually looking yep. up and stuff, and then you can actually see, oh, the next one is this. That's a different way of looking at it. I really like yeah. that. Yeah. 
So it just gives you those extra little bits that you can go, fuck, these players have gone somewhere I wasn't expecting. All right, let's just roll something. Okay, cool. And then I can I can vamp for the rest of the session while I think of the rest of the campaign. So yes. with, with, the, with the props and stuff, obviously, like you said, there's so yes. many of them. If you were running a Tolus game, which I'm sure we'll go into a lot more detail about in a second, but like, would you use all these props then yourself as a GM? Me? Personally, yeah. No, I'm not a proppy person. I mean... Okay, so two, two, there's a caveat to that. Digitally, no. Yes. Um, and and uh, in current times, gaming is digital for me. No, I wouldn't because um, I don't want to hold them up and then go, actually, I'll send, you the, I'll send you the image on the Discord. Oh, no, hang on, wait, I put it in the other channel. You know, that, what a way yes. to break. The amount of immersion you're going to get is being destroyed mm. by technology. In person, yes, I would because I just want to do that. I want to hand them out and give, yes. even just lay them on the table, um, because there are bits there that what I would do, I'm a fan of having almost a gaming mat. So what I often do is if I've got a table, mm. I would probably lay the map of Tolus out on the table, mm. just so people can look at it during sessions, yeah. put a couple of the menus out, put the calendar out, put the Saints Day thing out. Yeah. Maybe the event won't call for that, but it gives a player who's waiting for the fighter to do their six different attacks something to look at while they're doing that or you know just as an idea just looking at the city going oh what's that oh the necropolis section we should go to the necropolis you know just having it out there mm. gives it that level of i always want my ideal D table would look like the bit of bilbo baggins party where the dwarves put the map of yeah. erebor out and they put it on the table and there's food around it and they're all pointing at it saying we should go here that's what a D table should look yes. like to me so i think the props are good for that the table dressing put them out mm. maybe they won't look at it maybe it doesn't matter maybe we'll come into it won't come into it at all but they're there then they can go oh, cool i'm holding a calendar from this world that we're in mm. so yes i would i probably wouldn't go right i need to make a prop for every part of this story no. mm-hmm there's an interesting one because there is a wanted poster in there and that can be used as a seed for a later adventure in the campaign that's in the book. I would probably have that out from day one. Yeah, I'd probably just have that on the table. Never mention it. Just put it next to a menu so that at some point when you know the name comes up, they can go, ah, you know, that, that moment in a fucking Sherlock Holmes where you go, hang on, yes. it's this guy kind of yeah. thing. Just the seed I, it there. I was just about to say, later. Yeah. yeah, I, I was just about to say, it's very much, I'm sure you've played it, the Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, mm-hmm. where if you've not played it again, it's always sort of, uh, it's like escape room, the individual missions, and you read through and you do a lot of choose your own adventure, but you have newspapers and each newspaper, as you continue it, obviously it's yeah. the d- day after day after day, and you can look through several of them and you'll wait. This person was referenced back in this one. And yeah. I absolutely, that for me works so well, especially if you're in a group and you're passing around newspapers and stuff. So yeah, I definitely see this using props in person. And yes. yeah, I think it's such a, I, oh God, I miss the times of you eating in person and playing yeah. games and stuff like that. It makes total sense for, for this. And if you had the space to do it as well over a big table. So for, yeah, it's a shame. I feel like playing something like this online, you do lose that aspect of it. The only yes. thing I could think about to maybe combat that is that you send the players through the post like and yeah. now open your open your envelopes what do you find inside yeah, but, but again it's but that's a little bit more prep on the side you know postage uh, the postage is not cheap but it's just i guess rather than just sharing stuff electronically mm. it takes like you said any distraction certainly when you're online instantly like oh well i can open a tab okay facebook so oh i'll get youtube up as well oh yeah so i think there's a lot of distractions yeah. but yeah i completely agree i think there's some really interesting things you can do with these props if you're in person i mentioned i bought tolls before the pandemic and it arrived during the pandemic I'm not running it until it's over. Mm. I, I don't want to run it online. I've made a conscious decision that this is a premium book that I've bought. And actually, I keep saying it's premium. It actually wasn't that expensive in the world no. of Dungeons and Dragons. And I've got these props. This is a game that I would make an event of. I would very much do, like, I once agree. a month, we're going to have a day of Tolus. Yes. And then write it all down. And then a month later, we'll do another game. Really just do one yeah. big game kind of thing. Really, because... I think it deserves it. I know I'm gushing over this here, but it deserves it. It's a setting that really calls to me personally. There's a lot. It's funny because when you realise its genesis as this, as Monty Cook's beginning of writing a D and D thing, you start seeing everything. So Ghost Walk, you covered Ghost Walk. Yes, we did. Yes, yes. There is the Necropolis district. This is yes. a whole city district in Tolus. Mm-hmm. That's a ghost city, and it's it, you know it says it, it rather than street. Well, it's got streets. 
but it's graveyards and, and catacombs and necropolises. And it mentions you can run this bit as a wilderness adventure, except mm-hmm. rather than trees and forests, it's tombs that you're walking through being hunted by shades and stuff. That's Ghost Walk right yeah. there. Right. You start seeing all those little bits of, oh, yeah, yeah I joked earlier, I want to do a Moria adventure, go to Dwarven Half. Mm-hmm. I want to do a Drizzt adventure, go down to the uh, the Dark Elves down below kind of mm-hmm. thing. It's a potpourri setting but with a strong focus, it doesn't become, this is ridiculous. Why is this here and this here and this here? It actually becomes, Mm. no, it makes sense that these things are here, actually. Now, I think what we need to talk about is the fact there is so much because it's very overfacing. <laughs> well, we've talked about it so much that there's, there's a lot of stuff in it. But yes, there is so much about it. So go on then. So what things are you like not so sure about with this whole? It's it's a huge amount. It's a huge amount. And that makes it difficult to even start. It's, it's, I've had three or four false attempts at getting into it. Like it's very like there's this, there's this, there's this. And you need to realise you're not going to take it all in. No. Have a think about where you live. Have a think about the city that you live in and then genuinely how much do you know about it. So let's say you live in the city of London. Yep. Weird place. People trying to sell you fruit, steal your (laughs) chiefs and clean your chimneys at all times. Yeah. And you live in one bit of it. And let's say you live in Peckham Rye. You know Peckham Rye. I don't know if that's where you live, but I'm done pulling that way out. You live in Peckham Rye. And you know Peckham High Street. And then you know... If I jump on the tube, I can get to the city centre where the British Museum is and the art galleries are and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. How much do you know about Dalston if you live in Peckham Rye? How much do you know about Hampstead Heath? How much do you know about et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So actually, we go in, I think we go into adventures and games wanting to know almost a Lord of the Rings level of everything. Mm. Well, you don't. I don't know much about Hume, and that's down the road from me. Yeah. Take that approach to Tolus. Mm. Go, you okay, you are either new to the city or you've lived in the city, but you've never left. You've just lived in your little district your whole life. Yes. And now the whole place opened up and take it from there. Now, what's really handy is within the book, in the sidebars, there's lots of little bits where Monty Cook's written from my campaign to yours, where he explains how he ran certain parts of it. Mm. And the first thing that he says is his campaign started with one group arriving at the gates to Tolus and the other arriving by a boat to the port. Mm. Just run the port. If you really want to play Tolus, have your pe- have your parents, oh my God, oh, very Freudian, oh. <laughs> <laughs> have your characters arrive by a boat to the port and just run some stuff in the port because yeah. the port's small, it's self-contained, it is yeah. physically separated from the rest of the city. Yes. And it, it has its own fun little bits. There are deep ones in the water. There's a haunted pier. There's all stuff to play around with. Yeah. And then at some point they can be told, all right, do me a job, drop this bundle of stuff. Don't look at it. Drop this bundle of stuff off in the merchant's district. And that then gives them that excuse to have that moment where they climb the windy steps up to Tolus, the camera pans up, you get that breath of the wild moment where the world opens up and you see the city and then you can start running with it and go, yeah. okay, we've got a grip of it. Let's see what we can do now. Yeah, Tolus and big letters comes up as they make it over yeah. the thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And I think it's really important to know that. And unfortunately, though, that information is kind of hidden in the book. The book yes. goes, player's guide, great. You've got a grip, fantastic. Here is the real history, okay. Here is the cosmology, what? Here is all the politics, Jesus Christ. Now here is a breakdown of every section of this city down to each little bit gives you a map reference for a location. Mm -hmm. How much gold pieces on average will be found in there should the players loot it because they know what players are like. (laughs) So it's literally, if they're going to smash in this, they're going to smash in this shop, it's probably got 38 grand's worth of stuff in it. Like it literally tells you that. It's got, you know, like almost like those lost planet expense icons kind of thing, you know, like all little things like that. Tells you where it is, who owns it, who runs it, etc. And you're just like, Jesus Christ. Okay, so I've got the information. What do I do with it? And it's not until you get to really about chapter 33, <laughs> 32, 33, when you hit the adventures section. Yes. That's when it starts saying, okay, here's how to start. Yeah. And it's got a built-in campaign that starts with someone being mugged in the street so you can start that at any point you've been to port you've done a couple of your own adventures you've gone off into the merchant city and then you've gone to the pub and you watched and someone got mugged and you intervened now Now. you get to go into it 
you know, and this is where it opens up. This is where the street politics, the chaos cults, the delving underground, the, the doing our jobs to clear rap men out of the bottom of sewers comes out. Mm-hmm. And from there, it builds, builds, builds. And it says, you know, here's an adventure, run it. Now send your party somewhere. Maybe they want to explore the necropolis. Maybe they want to explore the rat sewers. Maybe they want to go clear out the cult of the ebon hand. Okay. Now here's the next bit of the story. Now have a free, it's almost like it's structured in adventure, free time, mm. adventure, free time, adventure, free time. And free time is for you to go, actually, I really want to run dwarven half. I really want to run, mm. you know, an adventure in the nobles quarter. Let's do some politics. Let's do, let's do an adventure where we're trying to poison someone or not, or be a bodyguard for someone um, instead of going down into the sewers. And then it builds and builds and builds. And then you get to sort of the published adventures because there are a few published adventures yes. which tell the story of what's happening in Tolus because the world is changing at this point mm. and they lead into that they you then hit about i think it would be about fifth level of D, and that's when you know the, the switch happens of right you're not just some scrubs now things are happening you need to get involved i completely agree with you because like again, london is a very good example but also manchester it's like you if you live in this place and you go to certainly during the pandemic when you're <laughs> in your house you don't remember where things are even in other you know D and D stuff, so like Curse of Strahd. You know the whole mm-hmm. thing. Everyone, everyone's like, well, we know the story, but like, do you know the land? It's two hundred pages of really a lot of lore, which is very interesting. But you can't take it all in at once. And I completely agree. So it is overwhelming. Because like when I saw six hundred and six hundred and odd pages, I was like, yeah. it's that's the thing where you read it on a Kindle. Something there's like a teeny tiny <laughs> bar that says one percent, and you go, oh, no, I will <laughs> but, never get this. But I yeah. love that idea, their structure, as you said. So that idea is like. Here's the first sort of installment, like a telltale game. And now it's time for you to play and give that freedom and stuff. So it gives that, it feels like a genuine life thing. Like, oh, it is, here's yeah. a big event. Here's something that's happening that you're involved with. And then it dies away. You don't necessarily go quickly onto the next event or the next, no. the next thing, which happens in other campaigns that you're following a huge long thing. And that is just really short, sharp things just to get you in. And then like you said, that twist, that sounds amazing. I really like that as a concept. And you can go off on your own and do what you want. I think that is, it is that thing of if you really want to play shopkeeper, shopkeeper and sales instead of Dungeons and Dragons, you can do that. But you can get that idea of, well, if we're going to stop this, you could open your own technology shop, but you've got to go get the technology. You know, that gives right. you that impetus to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, basically, I would highly recommend it in terms mm-hmm. of just a thing to investigate, even if you just look through the player's guide and go, actually, no, this doesn't, mm. this doesn't call to me. Actually, this is too much. Or I like ruins in the middle of the, in the middle of the wilderness. It maybe you won't like it, mm. but I do think it's so dense and so deep. And also it's an insight into someone else's mind, which is very difficult for GMs. It's very hard to know. I read a very funny post on that cesspit that is Reddit <laughs> where someone said, <laughs> and it's this guy and he said, I've got back into the hobby recently and I've been watching actual plays and things like Critical Role. And I feel like I, I never play role playing properly or they're not playing it properly. So, and he said, in my day, you wrote out your encounters. You said there's a one in 10 chance of encountering D6 goblins in this place. Whereas I watch these things and people just make things up as they go along. And it is just that classic, yeah, you're, you're both fine. You're both role playing. I always compare it to, you know, Manchester City play Wembley to win the FA Cup every year. And also we used to run around the park with 60 a side. We're both playing football. Yeah. There's, 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 it's football, but it's completely different. Of course it is. But, and I think something like Tolus gives you that tap into someone else's brain to go, mm. oh, that's, I wouldn't do that. Or no, I don't agree with that, but I can see why you did that. Yeah. I can see why you lay out typical workshops and typical warehouses before a campaign. Cause you know, your players are going to get there. Whereas I would go, oh no, wait, I'll wait for them to say, I want to break into a warehouse. You know, you sort of, yes. you see how someone else puts it together. And that is part of the charm of it. You could go through it and actually skip the almost the the information and just mm. read. It's almost a DM's guide to urban adventures. Yes, I completely yeah. agree with that that sentiment. Like um, the <coughs> things I would compare it to, and I don't again compare, but obviously they're completely different and they're standalone. Obviously, we have two modules that have come out. So, um, so Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. an urban adventure about heist stuff, and that's all taking place in the city. And then Dungeon of the Mad Mage, which is sort of this next part of it, which is underneath it, and then. Mm-hmm. Has these 20 levels 
walls of dungeon and stuff like that. And that's two two separate books and two separate things where they do it individually. Whereas Tolus has it all there, and it's already embaked into the the lore and history of it that like you would come here, and so you have that option rather than just going, okay, you start in Waterdeep, and you've got to do this heist thing first, and then you go into do it. So, and I completely agree. There's that sort of thing where now there are more and more published um, campaign settings from third parties. So obviously, I know Critical Roles recently mm-hmm. had a Taldori Reborn, and obviously they've got an Explorer Guide to Wildmount, and uh, there's other other ones that have come out and stuff like that. And it's I do agree. Like if you are watching these shows and you're really interested in investing in the world, do that. But look at the stuff as well. Like you said, the PDF the first chapter is free have a yeah. look it's I, I do find it's interesting to see what other people say and if you're inspired by it as well because that's the thing i'd never really heard of tolus before mm-hmm. and looking for it i thought what a cool way just again visually stunning mm-hmm. and then adding all this stuff in it. so yeah it is an urban adventure but having that subterranean exploration and you know, said the, the necropolis and all that sort of thing and the culture and all this thing. it just seems how someone else puts a a, a town to, not even a town a massive city together yeah. and would you replace that you say oh, i don't want water deep anymore i want this instead and then yeah, yeah and then you could drop it on there. the sword coast no problem exactly you think yeah it's just a place further on or you put it on an island on its own it could be a yes. city state on an island far out to the west from the sword coast you that, know? That, that's an interesting thing as well because again in the history of it as well because of this whole decline of this empire this sort of political mm-hmm. context as well there is calls for Tolos to be independent and stuff like that yeah. and it's that sort of interesting background as well where they have the yeah. council and all that sort of thing so if you were like you said before you really want to do a political game so a bit like salt marsh in a way yeah. you can have that into it as well make 100% that so, yeah you can get yeah. because you can you can run a mafia game you can become yes. a retainer of one of the families and run a mafia game where you're smashing up other people's territory and stuff you know mm. yeah it really gives you that yeah the politics if you really wanted to but then but again, as you said, there's so much detail. So yes, in so in Tolos, they have these ten uh, noble families, and they're all slightly mm. different. And to me, the names get very similar. And there's always <laughs> yes, at the end, yeah. there's the evil house. It's always at the end. Yeah, <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah. well, 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 we won't worry about that one. But well, again. Interesting yeah. enough, and again, the same in Salt Marsh as well. You have certain influences and certain families mm-hmm. and council members and stuff as well. So yeah, I, I, it was just very interesting to read that. And again, you can definitely see that this has been developed over so many years and just gone. Yeah. We're just going to keep it all in there anyway because it was important to me in my campaign. And yes. you know, it is what it is. So yeah. yeah. No. Just a final thing. It's important to remember it was written twenty-four years ago. So the amount of stuff that's probably then fed into. D&D from yes. third ed to 3.5 to 4 to 5 there might be stuff that you go as you say the noble house where it's at and there the one you know now it's like that's kind of yeah it's 10 a penny but that was kind of like okay cool that that maybe that's where it started you know mm-hmm. kind of thing so it's it, it's it, it's almost an urtext for modern D&D mm-hmm. is it, it was the beginning of because I, I do see 3 to 5 as a linear sort of progression of D&D and I think this is one of those urtexts that began that kind of thing and again, just to emphasize, because you're, mm-hmm. you're the ones that brought it up, that it's not just for the DNC system. This is the only nope. setting I know, really, that spans DD and deliberately the cipher system as well. So a completely yes. different system for it. And I think that's yeah. great. So, like, do, like well, how do you feel about that as somebody who's come late to DD but obviously has used other systems and stuff? Yes, Cypher System is my everything. I love Cypher System. Um, I think that's great. I think it's really fun because it gives me that ability to play in DD without having to use the DD rule set. Uh, the Cypher rules are dead fun and easy, just to give you. A, an example of the difference. I'll read you a stat block here for an NPC. Please, yeah. Uh, so this is uh, no, uh, Real Ass Dalaster, who is one of the nobles of the houses. He is level three and has local knowledge and commerce tasks as level four. That's it. That's all you need to know. And that, that means that you can pack this book. I don't, the, the, there are two editions of the book. Yes. I have a feeling the 5 you want the stats are either provided separately or it's like a big gazette at the end kind of thing, mm-hmm. whereas in the cipher version, they're in the sidebars, so you literally can go, I need the stats for this person over there. They're right there, and it's two yeah. lines. I really like it. I really like it because I really like the cipher system. But I have always it's always that classic thing, but everyone else is playing D&D and I'm not playing D&D. I want to play D&D. But actually... This gives that break. There is another setting coming from Monticut Games, the Plane Breaker setting, mm. which is because he did a lot of work on Planescape. Um, Planescape? Yeah, Planescape. Yeah, that's the one. Um, and it's kind of almost a modern take on that, and it's called the Plane Breaker. Mm. And um, there is a good 
chance i think the tollers could be tied into that so that's gonna be another one so you can start running D D via cypher very easily very soon i love that and yeah i think yeah i can imagine like if everyone's already in it or they already have characters that they want to use again that just having it as a D import then that makes total sense but again yeah. it's i think that's such a cool thing because again dnd is not everyone's cup of tea as you and mm-hmm. i both know and it's just nice to try it. like i really enjoyed when we ran cyber system for vert yeah. and numenera as well and they were just it was just something very different and making decisions and and making mm-hmm. successes and, and and making actions was actually so different than what i would do as a DD character so just different yeah. ways to play that absolutely people and i think told us even though i know we just need to finish up now but no. it can be easily accessed because although it is a plane away what we haven't talked about is the giant invisible inverted pyramid that floats above yes. the city yes hang <laughs> on stop before we get to the outro yeah what? <laughs> yeah, there's a giant floating city almost above Tolus, which is an invisible pyramid upside down called the Inverted Pyramid, which is basically where all the wizards live. Yes. Uh, and there you go. Well, we can have this giant floating invisible pyramid. So we will, because we're yeah. wizards. And this is a great example of something that is a great MacGuffin, because if you are the average resident of Tolus, you probably have no idea about no. this thing. But this is it, it's made of almost one-way glass where you can't see it and they can see you. Which yeah. is very wizardy because wizards are creeps. Um, <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah, and it's you can only teleport into it. You can't fly into it or anything. You have to be able to teleport to get into it, and it has certain teleporting rooms. It has got a um, library of the most magnificent collection of arcane material, mm-hmm. and it's a perfect inn. If you want to have that almost... Um, you know, in Genesis of the Daleks, where the Doctor is plucked by the Time Lords to go do a mission, do that in D&D. You know, you could be plucked mm-hmm. by the magic dropped into the inverted pyramid where you've been summoned against your will almost by these wizards and they're like we really need your help right now so that gives it's you it's only a, you we spotted only, you down that alleyway talking yeah. to those beggars yeah the rest of them are dead um, <laughs> so, but they could lift you from a different plane never mind from Tolus. Yeah. they could see your adventures in eberron and go "Ooh, they're the type of people we need yum, 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 yum. Yeah. bring you in and then at the end of the adventure you go back into the pyramid and you're warped back to your original campaign and it could be a little you know, a little uh, side bits to it kind of thing. So again, it, I know like we would keep going like harping on about like, oh, it's like a high fantasy, dark mm. perhaps, but, but there's so many of these little sci-fi elements of it. I know it's like Loads. magic in, quote, in quotation marks, but yeah, anything that's floating, inverted and invisible, I'm like, well, that's a ship of some kind. <laughs> like that's sort of, but yeah, yeah that, and that's so cool. Again, that idea that, yeah, you could pluck people out. They, they don't have to just come willingly i mean again depending on the consent and all that yes, but i love yeah. the idea but yeah you we you're the only people for this job and we've taken you from across this plane and because and yeah interesting to hear about that plane breaker thing because obviously multiverse stuff is gonna be really big this year for it's uh, big, isn't it yeah, yeah so. people are big um but yes yeah, so there's loads basically there's absolutely loads and also if you want to play uh discworld the adventure you can just just run Tolus. Yeah, they, it does. It does feel very Discworld in places. Yeah, which I there's a feel. university. You can just make that invisible, and then you're sorted. Just, just run Discworld. <laughs> that. Yeah. Well, Rob, thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk about Tolus, and yeah, something I had was very intimidated of when you sent the PDF, but I now feel like wow, there's actually so many cool ideas and inspirations here, and I again love the props and stuff. So. Yes. Tell me about you, Rob. What have you got coming up? Any any plans? Like, what do you want? Where can um, people find out more about your work? Anything you'd like to recommend? I uh, mainly podcast under Realm of Fire. We are a Warhammer podcast. Me and Brendan from Full Metal RPG talk about Warhammer, the universes, the games, the chuds that inhabit it, uh, the RPGs. We have a upcoming adventure that's being run between us and dark hammer mm-hmm. involving us being imperial guardsmen gonna get blown to pieces uh, yep. in which fiona you are joining us i did the character sheet and everything so i feel i feel like in. everything <laughs> um so yeah that's coming up but mainly that you can find me on instagram on the realm of fire podcast or underscores under that i don't exist much on social media you can find me on the full metal rpg discord often or the grognard files discord i'm there as well and in terms of things coming up, actually not much at the moment because work's kind of taken over. So I'm going to leave a couple of recommendations. Please, yes. And one is the Wheel of Time series, Ooh. which surprised me because I didn't think it was going to be very good, mm. um, but I watched it. And it is a D&D adventure on telly. 
Mm. I would highly recommend it. Um, I've never read the books. I tried once and I was like, forget that. Yeah. But I would highly recommend that. I think that's really good fun and does have some tallest vibes to it. So I'd recommend The Wheel of Time and also Wellington Paranormal, which is a police drama set within the What We Do in the Shadows universe and uh, is just great because always funny. And unfortunately, I'm running around the darkness game, a world of darkness game at the moment and watching What We Do in the Shadows and trying to run a straight-faced world oh, of darkness game is very difficult. You, you really can't. Not, really not can't. That's cool. I, yeah, it's, I've not read uh, Wheel of Time myself either, but my partner's really into it. And so I, yeah. the, the, the trailers for it do look amazing. So mm. I, I, it's, it's on the list, but I've not yet to sit down and binge it. So Give, it, I will go. Give it a go. It starts slow, but it picks up quite quickly. And not in a, you have to watch 68 series before it gets going in a Always first away. episode's a bit slow. And then it picks up. And then it picks up. Yeah. Well, just to finish off for me, obviously I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, which is a twice monthly RPG one-shot podcast. As always, it's going very, very well. Uh, Rob's been on it a few times, doing some guest GMing, (laughs) waving waving. to nobody. Like an (laughs) idiot. Um, So do check out, uh, we have Vert, that's already out, so please go check that out. Uh, In the future, we will have Numerera and we'll have Idris Bai coming out. And I'm sure we'll have other games with you, Rob, coming in. And hopefully you get to play in some of them as well. And I know you're the one who's always like, I've got this idea and I go, Great, can you run it? So, <laughs> yeah. so that that's always good. Um, and we, of course, we have a offer code at Third Space Gaming, your friendly local game shop in Burnley. Uh, so you put in the promo code. I have to do the hand signal. So, so just, just to Rob, I have to go DMBC onto um, checkout, and you get ten percent off your first order. Whether that's terrain, maybe some alt covers or some expanded rule books from a D and D series that's just come out, or anything like that, and just say hello there because they're very nice folks. And that's it. Um, again thank you so much Rob for coming on and I'll just say goodbye to our listeners and we will speak to you see you see you whatever thing next time (laughs) okay love you bye bye (laughs) oh don't forget to hydrate ah